0: Acts chapter 3 is our sermon text for this evening. Acts chapter 3, and then I will read for us the article in our confession that we'll be considering tonight for our lesson. It will be article 14 found in the back of the Blue Hymnal, if you'd like to follow along. This is Acts chapter 3. God's Word is inspired by the Spirit. It is given to God's people for our good. Let's attend to its reading. Acts 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate though we had decided to let him go you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you you killed the author of life but god raised him from the dead we are witnesses of this by faith in the name of jesus this man whom you see and know was made strong it is jesus name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see now brothers i know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The grass withers, the flower fades, God's word endures forever. Amen. And then on page 75 in the back of the blue hymnal, if you'd like to follow along, I'm going to read... For those who may be just visiting us, we've been going through, this is the Belgic Confession, one of our constitutional documents that forms our doctrine here at this church. So We've been going through it and studying it through the lens of scripture. So article 14, titled, The Creation and Fall of Man, His Incapacity to Perform What is Truly Good. It says this, we believe that God created man out of the dust of the earth, and made and formed him after his own image and likeness, good, righteous, and holy, capable in all things to will agreeably to the will of God. But being in honor, he understood it not. Neither knew his excellency, but willfully subjected himself to sin, and consequently to death and the curse, giving ear to the words of the devil. For the commandment of life, which he had received, he transgressed. And by sin separated himself from God, who was his true life, having corrupted his whole nature, whereby he made himself liable to corporal and spiritual death, and being thus become wicked, perverse, and corrupt in all his ways, he has lost all his excellent gifts, which he had received from God, and retained only small remains thereof, which, however, are sufficient to leave man without excuse. For all the light which is in us is changed into darkness, as the scriptures teach us, saying, The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness apprehended it not, where St. John calls men darkness. Therefore, we reject all that is taught repugnant to this concerning the free will of man, since man is but a slave to sin, and can receive nothing except it hath been given him from heaven. For who may presume to boast that he of himself can do any good? Since Christ says, no man can come to me except the Father that sent me draw him. Who will glory in his own will? Who understands that the mind of the flesh is enmity against God? Who can speak of his knowledge since the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God? In short, who dares suggest any thought since he knows that we are not sufficient of ourselves to account anything as of ourselves, but that our sufficiency is of God? And therefore, what the Apostle says ought justly to be held sure and firm, that God worketh in us, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. For there is no understanding nor will conformable to the divine understanding and will, but what Christ has wrought in man, which he teaches us when he says, apart from me you can do nothing. Let us consider these words as we study together Acts chapter 3. People of God, we live in a world where things fall apart. Things fall apart. As a father to young children, I've realized that this is a lesson that you need to learn through experience at a young age. You, your heart breaks as you see the look of confusion of your your little one-year-old daughter looking at the toy that has just cracked in half and not really understanding what has happened, and so you you do your best to comfort them, and as they grow up, little by little, you start to explain to them that sometimes things break. In fact, everything is sort of on its way to breaking. Things fall into disrepair. If you've ever spent the boatload of money it would cost now to put new windows on your house, for instance, you know that it's money well spent, but The day you put those windows in, count down to the next time you have to buy new windows as the cold air starts to creep in to your house. The same goes for anything else in this world. In fact, our bodies, of course, are no different. In fact, Stephen Hawking, recently deceased physicist, he was a celebrity, widely adored, as one of the most brilliant scientists of our time said that things falling apart That's how we understand the passage of time. If things came back together over time, rather than falling apart, we would have no way of knowing if we're living life backwards or forwards. I read that this week and my head was spinning, so if your head is spinning now, don't feel bad. The question is this. Do we understand the the nature of all of this from a biblical perspective, from what God's word says. Also, do we understand why the world is this way? And more importantly, do we understand why we are this way? Because we contribute, don't we, to the disrepair into which this world is falling. We contribute to things falling apart. Our relationships, our governments, our nations, our alliances. I was uh, speaking this morning Uh, My good friend was here, Mike, I don't know if if maybe some of you touched base with him, but uh, he's writing his dissertation on the book of Genesis, and he's studying uh, how all throughout the book of Genesis, even where God intervenes, what we see time and time and time again is that human beings continually, because of their sin, uh, begin to act in animal-like ways. That's a thread that runs through Genesis. Our sin is constantly pulling us to contributing to the disrepair of this world. And you see that time and time again, even in the book of Genesis itself. Multiple times the human race brings itself to the point of destruction. So we have been studying the fact that God has created us and that he created everything good. To understand what that state of goodness was, we need to understand a couple things. First is this. The goodness that Adam and Eve experienced at the beginning of this world, it was not exactly like heaven because it was not a state of eternal righteousness and holiness, was it? No, it was a time for Adam of trial. Uh, Adam was placed in the garden and he was able to sin. He was able not to sin, but he was able to sin. And that is what he chose. He chose to disobey God. But we also have to understand that even though it wasn't perfect, eternal righteousness, it was a time of trial, that world in, into which Adam uh, was brought was a world without all of this decay and disrepair that we see in the world around us today. Adam's failure in his call to obey, his disobedience of God, that is the fountain source to which we can point to when we look at this world and we say, why is it that things fall apart. So if we live in this world where things fall apart, what is the hope that we have? And so I want to consider this article uh, from our confession through the lens of Acts chapter 3, because Acts chapter 3 shows for us the state of the fallen world, but it also shows for us the heart of God to bring things to repair. Not to allow the disrepair to continue to go on and on, but to bring things into a state of repair. And we see that through the lens, really, of of Pentecost. That the giving of the Spirit leads Peter to preach a sermon in Acts chapter 2 and brings us to this account where the lame beggar is healed. And it's important for us to understand exactly what Luke is pointing out for us in in the book of Acts through the story. So, first, let's uh, recount... Uh, the biblical account of the fallen world. So imagine that your boss were to say to you, if you uh, complete all of the projects that I have given to you between now and the end of the year, I will give you a 10% raise. That would perhaps be good news depending on how many projects you have outstanding and how much time remaining before the end of the year. But you would at least understand the type of arrangement, wouldn't you? Okay, My boss gave me something clear to do, to, to accomplish. If I do it, then I know that uh, he will give me what he has promised. Students, you know this type of arrangement. If uh, your teacher says, if he or she compiles all of your points that you earn on your tests and your assignments relative to all of the possible points and you have more than 90% of the possible points, what do you get? An A, right? Is an A still 90% or above? Yes? No? No? Okay. Do you guys? Okay. No, never mind. When I was a student, 90% and above was an A. It was just like that. And then 80 and above. Anyways. But you understand the arrangement. Do this and I will give you what I have promised to you. It's a proper correlation between deeds and consequences. We might call that arrangement strict justice. In the Garden of Eden, it was not a rigged game, was it? God told Adam, do this and you will live. Obey what I command to you and I will give you blessing. I will give you eternal life. That was the promise of the Garden of Eden. Adam did not understand. He did not perceive, as our confession says, he did not understand the depth of the things that God had commanded of him and the importance of obeying his God. He did not understand the glory and the holiness of God. And so as we read, he gave the devil a hearing. He listened to his words and he followed him. So in an arrangement of strict justice, you don't Complete all of the projects your boss gives to you. What happens? If that boss is perfectly just, you won't get the raise. If that teacher is perfectly just, she will not give you the A. So instead of life in the story of Scripture, what does Adam get? He does not get life, he gets a curse, not only for himself, but for the whole human race. What does it say in Genesis 3? out of this story of the Garden of Eden. Life is hard, life is short. Life is hard, life is short. When you think about this world, things fall apart, things fall into disrepair. You can sum it up by saying, for the vast majority of people who have lived on this earth, life is hard and life is short. Short And perhaps you've wondered as you've read the Genesis story, you've read it so many times, God says what? On the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on that day you shall surely die. Then you say, it doesn't seem like Adam dies on that very day, does it? Well, the answer lies in the words of our confession that we read. You have to understand the fall of man in two different kinds of death. Spiritual death and bodily death. And that death came in two phases. On the day that Adam disobeyed God, spiritual death was entered into the world and into his life. And that needed to be worked out in his body, leading him to physical death. They were cut off from God's life-giving holiness, and they were separated from him. And that worked itself out in the death of their bodies. Thankfully, that's not where the story ends. That's not where the story ends, because God willed that the story would not end there. But, this is where the story must begin. In order order to understand salvation from the Bible, in order to understand the glories of what God does for us in His Son, Jesus Christ, this is where you need to begin. A world into which sin entered, uh, because the first man who was created disobeyed God and introduced sin, and death, and corruption, and disrepair into this world. I, was, uh, I experienced firsthand uh, one of the ways in which this can be misrepresented and twisted, even just this week. I was talking with some people, trying to counsel them, trying to uh, talk to them about Jesus, and uh, there was uh, someone else that, that was there. I was counseling Uh, someone, I think it was back Tuesday or Wednesday this past week, and uh, I was trying to talk to them and bring them to the glories of the gospel. These were people that were really lost and really in a broken state. Their life was just in really rough condition. And the person that was with me kept on telling them uh, God loves you and nothing that you can ever do will ever take away his love and he will never change the way that he feels about you no matter what you do. And the problem with that was that they were missing sin in the equation because these people had brought their lives into a state of total disrepair uh, because of their rebellion against God and they needed to be convinced and shown the ways in which they had run from him and how they needed him to fix them. If someone comes to you, if, uh, if I am running away from God constantly and, and sinning in various ways, and someone comes up to me and says, you know, there's a God. And, you know, he's, he's so excited about you and loves you so much, there's nothing you could ever do to not become his child. What would that be for me? I would almost, I would say, oh, well, that's cool. Um, that's good to know. I'm glad to know that there's a God who loves me so much. So you have to start, in terms of the gospel, you have to start at this beginning of the story. When Adam introduced sin. And death and disrepair into this world. But God does not let the story stop there. He's a God who fixes what is broken. But unless you know you're broken, you will not love the fix that God gives to you in his son. And so we turn to this story in Acts 3. A wonderful story of healing and repair. There are many reasons why this story stands out as a special message that connects with the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to the New Covenant Church and our place in this fallen world. But consider this man who was healed in Acts chapter 3. He is crippled from birth. Crippled from birth. So imagine his whole life he has not been able to walk. So that breaks our hearts a little bit, doesn't it? A different kind of life that he had to live. He didn't grow up running around with his friends. Never had the opportunity really to be a carefree child and see what happens in his life now. He needs to be daily carried to the temple gate so that he can beg for money, completely dependent on other people to provide for him. What's the point of Luke telling us about this man? What is he trying to say uh, by showing us who this man is? He is a picture of the fallen and corrupt nature of man after sin enters the world, crippled from birth, Never a whiff of independence or strength. Never an ability to get out of this condition by himself. Just as this man was enslaved to his crippled condition, so we, so man in general, is a slave to his fallen nature. Since the Garden of Eden, everyone has been born into a state of crippling corruption. And this man's life is marked by what? It's marked by drudgery, scraping through life each and every day, going to the temple gate, begging for money. A crippled man. But he pictures for us our crippled nature because of the fall. And because of the fall into sin, as we read, the human race is in what? Darkness. Darkness needs to be rescued. So friends, brothers, sisters, do you understand the consequences of being separated from God. It can be hard, especially for those who are born in the church, grow up in the church, always go go to church, always learning about the Bible, perhaps learning about the Bible in school each and every day. Do you understand the consequences of being separated from God? We need to fight so that we understand the depth of the corruption of our sinful nature. Think about this man, crippled from birth. Unable to get to where he's trying to go. No independence, no strength on its own, on his own. That's the state of our sinful nature in and of ourselves. And So we must fight to continue to remind uh, ourselves of all of these things. Think of the Gospel of Luke, for instance. The Gospel of Luke speaks about the, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. That's who we are in our sin. That's who we are in our sin. So Peter and John encounter this man... In the temple courts. Verse 4, Peter locks eyes with this guy. And and automatically this guy who's begging for money knows. When he locks eyes with someone, he's going to ask them to help him out. He has that opportunity. But Peter and John give a response that is not really what is expected. Verse 6 in Acts 3, a beautiful statement, isn't it? It reminds us that uh, in this world, perhaps we won't be able to give people what they want but those who carry the light of Christ with them can always give people what they need. So Peter says in verse 6, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Notice that Peter goes to great lengths to make sure that he points out it is because of Jesus. He says, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now perhaps with our familiarity with the Bible, this doesn't seem like much going on in this account. We see all kinds of healings all throughout the Gospels, uh, Jesus doing it again and again and again. Jesus healed a lot, his apostles healed a lot too, and this is another one of those stories that's just kind of thrown in there. But if we want to see what Luke is trying to tell us in Acts, right at the beginning of the church, right after Pentecost, we have to carefully note where this story occurs. So we see what he is telling to us here. Because Jesus has gone up into heaven now. He's poured out his spirit on the church. And if you read the flow of Acts in these early chapters, this seems like a strange place to have a story like this. The spirit's poured out. Peter preaches uh, a wonderful sermon. People are repenting and believing, being baptized, coming into the church by the thousands each and every day. And all of a sudden, there's a whole chapter dealing with a lame man being healed. And so what is the point of having this account here? Luke is telling us about what it is that the church is going to continue to do. This is what's going to be happening during Jesus' heavenly ministry, that people are going to to experience this kind of restoration and healing just like when Jesus was on the earth. And yet we also have to understand what it is that this healing points us to. For as the people in Jesus' day, like the people who witness this healing, the temptation will always be to think that this man, given the, given the ability to walk, that that's an end in itself. But just as Peter and John have no money to give to this man, but they give him something better, so this man's healing points us to something better and to something more ultimate. The healing and the restoration of all things. If you go through Acts chapter 3, you can see uh, very obviously there's a cluster of words that talk about the healing of all things, the restoration of all things that is going to happen at the last day in Jesus Christ. Note, for instance, verse 7. We read that Peter takes the man by the hand and his feet and ankles. They what? They become strong. It's a very specific word that Luke chooses very specifically to show us that he's speaking about ultimate restoration, and healing. He uses the same verb in verse 16. He says, this man whom you see and know was made strong. Note also in uh, verse 16, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can see. But what we must also notice is the way that Peter uh, uses that way of talking to then turn to speaking about spiritual salvation. Look at verse 19 with me. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing, note that phrase, may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to what? Restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. The, the, these phrases, times of refreshing and a time where God will restore everything. Peter also tells us when that's going to happen. It happens when Jesus comes again. So the, the healing of this man is what? It's a foretaste of ultimate restoration, of ultimate times of healing. And so it also can't be limited. Uh, to mere physical healing we know that this man jumps to his feet and he does what he begins to praise God later on Peter will be questioned about what happened in the healing of this crippled man and he said that this man was saved he was saved and then just sentences later he will say that you must repent and believe in Jesus Christ so that you might be saved and so all of this kind of healing language is sprinkled throughout this passage to show that this is what the church is going to be about after Pentecost, to give uh, a foretaste of the ultimate healing and redemption from sin because that's what the healing of this man pictures for us. One, one uh, commenter says that this healing is both an x-ray and a preview. As an x-ray, it allows us to gaze upon really what's going on underneath the surface of this healing. This man is being given the ability to walk, but it's picturing for us uh, what happens in Christ. That as we come to him by faith, as uh, our sins are forgiven, we are given to taste of the reality, to share in the reality of the restoration of all things. But it's also a preview It's a preview of what will happen on uh, that last day. It's a preview of what God will do on the last day in Christ so that this world is no longer a place where things fall apart. When Christ comes again, there will be no need for medicine. There will be no need for super glue to bring things back together. There will be no realizing later how much you've messed up a relationship because of what you said and you realize the damage that you have done and all of the destructive tendencies that we tend to have in our relationships. And the point that Luke is also, is also showing to us is, he's showing to us something about the nature of the church in the fallen world until Jesus comes again. And that's what's pictured for us in this man's healing. That he is all of a sudden given this restoration, this ability to walk. So it pictures for us the fallen nature of man, He is healed, given the ability to walk and jump and leap. But he is given this healing in the midst of what? In the midst of a world that is still marked by things falling into disrepair. Things falling apart. So he becomes a piece of the new creation amidst the old. And that really is what Luke is telling us about what the church is to be. The church is to be a community of people transformed by the grace of God, made alive by the Spirit of God, a foretaste of the ultimate healing uh, going through this world in the midst of this world that is still marked by sin and decay and the fall. And so we read in Isaiah chapter 35, um, a great and wonderful passage that speaks exactly about this kinds of, uh, these kinds of things. It says, The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So this man is given to taste of that, and he pictures for us uh, the church. But the, the encouragement for us tonight... Is that what does this man do? Because as he's healed and he's picturing for us the people of God amidst the decay of the old world, he's picturing for us all of those things. And uh, what is it that, that, what is the promise of God to which we cling so that we can know that God will be with us every step of the way? Well, if we go back to Isaiah chapter 35, verses 3 and 4, it says this Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and he will save you. And a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it and it shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. So what's Isaiah saying to us? He's saying that As the church is picturing for us this transformation of a crippled man, sinful nature, made uh, to, to be able to walk and to leap for joy and to run and to follow Peter and John, he's saying to us that God will be the one who strengthens us as we go down the way of holiness, that he will be the one who strengthens the weak knees. He will be the one who makes our ankles firm and gives strength to our legs. We're called to be what? A pilgrim people. A pilgrim people who have been transformed and who stand in the midst of this world that is decaying, where things fall apart. But yet we have to wait, don't we? We have to wait till the last day, where Jesus will make all things fully and finally new. The book of Romans says that as we await that last day, new creation amidst the old, what do we do? We groan inwardly while we await the redemption of our bodies, And so uh, be encouraged that in the midst of, of that groaning, God is the one who, as Isaiah chapter 35 says, strengthens the weak hands, makes our feeble knees firm. And God says, be strong and do not fear. Behold, I am coming. I will come and I will save you. And we see that pictured for us uh, in this story in Acts chapter 3. God says, I have left you, I have put you into the world to be a picture, a foretaste of the new creation that is coming. You will stand and you will walk amidst a world where things fall apart. And so hold on to the hope that I give you. And I will strengthen you each and every step that you take. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your gift, the gift of your word. And we, and we thank you that you have allowed us to gather here tonight. We pray that as we think about your word and as we study it, that you would continue to shape and to form us into the people you would have us be for your honor and for your glory. Father, we thank you that you have overcome uh, our sinful nature, our inability uh, to, to walk on our own. And through the power of the gospel, through the power of Jesus Christ and through faith in him, uh, you call us to new life and uh, you strengthen us and uh, you give us energy for the way that we have fought, might follow the way of holiness. So Father, glorify your name in our lives. Give us strength as we go out into the new week. May you be glorified in all that we do in Christ's name. Amen.